and welcome to another episode of the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators um, podcast, also known as NARC. I wanted to announce before we get started on today's episode that I now have my website up and going and you can visit me at narctroopers.com. Narc Troopers, N-A-R-C Troopers, T-R-O-O-P-E-R-S, narctroopers.com. Take a look. Today we're going to talk about the pink cloud effect. Some of you have heard about this. Um, It's a phenomena um, that happens with people in recovery from dysfunctional relationships with people with personality disorders. So let me begin by saying that um, I am a love junkie, and my husband was my heroine. There's two categories of addiction, substance addiction and behavioral addiction. We're all familiar with the substance kind when we think of alcohol or drug addiction and things like that, but I think less um, conversations happen about the behavioral addiction. So while I don't suffer from drug or alcohol addiction, I do suffer from uh, this relationship addiction, which for all practical purposes resembles substance abuse in at least all of the important ways. Now, the term pink cloud is a term that originated in AA, and it's something that most recovering addicts are aware of. It's part of that conversation. Uh, It's a phrase that's used to describe feelings of elation and euphoria in early sobriety. Recovering addicts often say that this feeling of joy gives them hope after suffering and struggling and all of the things they've had to experience. But it can also uh, cause damage um, and it can cause a, a dangerous overconfidence and ultimately disappointment that can lead to relapse. So we need to know what that is when it happens. In the long odyssey of attaining and maintaining sobriety following an addiction to a person, one must go through the same stages of withdrawal, and the same 12-step type programs can be effective. The key to sobriety is true surrender, Regardless if it's a substance or whether maybe it's an intimate relationship, the addict must admit that they have reached rock bottom. They must shrink their ego and recognize that they need help on a daily basis. Many current mental health professionals and recovery gurus proclaim the importance of doing inner work on damaged core belief systems. Um, They call them um, inner. Um, inner scripts and things like this. They're the things that are programming. They're our inner programming. These can be damaged core belief systems that overpowered the mind and are the impetus for obsessive or addictive behavior. These, these uh, damaged core belief systems. So it is true when mental health professionals say that you need to work on that and anyone else who tells you that it is absolutely correct. 
If the internal stories and truths we believe about ourselves and the worlds around us are addressed in transformative ways, the results will manifest as wholeness and the release of the compulsive need to fill the void within. It's like an emptiness that must be filled. When we stop feeding the addiction with our toxic inner programming and beliefs, we can be free of these things that compel us to attach to people who are also damaged and completely incapable of giving us what we need. I've heard conversations about who's to blame. Do narcissists go out scouting for prey for future victims? I'm not sure that's, that's correct. Do they target a specific type of person that's vulnerable or codependent or has no boundaries and, you know, that they have their own issues? Do they, can they, do they zone in on those people uh, as their next victim? I, I think part of it is that we attract on the outside what is in the inside. And so if our inner programming is has kinks in it it's broken it's not it's malfunctioning and not working correctly then of course we're going to attract uh similar toxic and dysfunctional things to us we have to heal from the inside out and it's through that healing the inner self that we can attract people who are not um people who are going to hurt us and uh exploit us um, it, it's, it makes you tired just to think about this, but anyway, the, to, the truth be told, none of us can risk a false sense of recovery, right? Thinking that we're getting better when in fact we're really not. We may try to stick a bandaid on it or spackle over it or rush out and find, a uh, a replacement, but the internal script that is sabotaging our lives is still running the show. Until we can confront that reality, our lives can't change for the better. And um, this healing, the healing that needs to happen will continue to be out of reach. It may be tempting to stay in this pink cloud, all pink and frothy and fluffy and puffy and wonderful and yummy, but it's not real. And trust me, you have to know that for me, after... 16 years of being with someone and loving someone and being married to someone that I uh, thought uh, was a real relationship, a real marriage, loving who loved me back. That wasn't real. The whole thing wasn't real. He is not real. Uh, the persona that he projected to me, that he mirrored to me, was not real. So I've had enough of the whole not real thing. Uh, I don't want to do that anymore uh, with myself, with other people, um, with my pairings with other people. None of it. I, I'm done with false selves and that kind of thing. I also do not want to be stuck in a loop of torment endlessly. I've seen so many strangers in various support groups and recovery groups that are stuck in paralysis analysis where they just keep reading about narcissists and thinking about narcissism and talking about it and telling people and asking questions and they're on Quora 
five and six and 10 times a day reading the articles about narcissism on places like Quora and Facebook and YouTube and all of that, you get stuck. Denial, depression, despair. These are the terrible triple D's, I call them, a triple D. Denial, depression, despair. We can be stuck there if we're not careful. We can be stuck in other stages of grief and not be able to extricate ourselves and move on. People like this who get stuck, we're like prisoners in our own lives, trapped in a loop of pain, and it just renders us powerless and hopeless. So I think another key component in recovery is the acceptance of reality and staying grounded there. This is important. Accepting reality and staying grounded there. People often often tell me um, that I must learn to let go of the things that don't serve my highest good. That includes the people who no longer support you in healthy ways. But I think the key is not in the letting go part, but in accepting the reality of the situation. That's the key. You can't let go of somebody who's already gone. They, they're gone. And so there's nothing to let go of. Accepting it is much harder. Getting to and through uh, that acceptance is it's what saves us and transforms us into better versions of ourselves. So it's dangerous to allow the pink cloud of temporary euphoria become a substitute for real meaningful transformation. And that kind of authentic core change is necessary to recover from narcissistic abuse. It's the only answer. You're not going to get closure from them. You're not going to get validation from them. They have a scorched earth policy where they have burned everything to the ground in the life that they had with you. They totally burn it to ashes. They turn around with a smirk and walk off into the sunset with other people. Right? They're not, they, they don't want to have any memory or any connection that you ever existed. It's gone. It's like it never happened, which is just crazy, but it's true. So we have to accept that if we're going to move on and heal from the inside. Because if you're looking for something from the outside, from one of these people who is a narcissist, a sociopath, or a psychopath, or some weird amalgamation of all three, or maybe they have a comorbidity and they're also an addict, mine was also an addict, whatever their problem is, they're not going to be able to help you. They're not going to be able to give you what you need. For them, you don't exist. So you're going to have to do it yourself. Hard as that may seem, terrible as it may be, that's the truth. That's what's happened. So it requires not only acceptance of what happened and how it was never really real, but also acceptance of your own part in the toxic relationship. For me, that required the realization that I was an addict and that all of my jagged little pieces fit so perfectly with his damaged and deranged world. It was a panacea, a halcyon in the storm of a life that had always been disappointing and 
not just disappointing, abusive. It had always been that way for me. It was familiar. It was a pattern. It was comfortable because it was all that I had ever known. Now, I'm not saying that all people caught up in relationships with partners who have these cluster B personality disorders uh, are love junkies or codependent or anything. Many are not. But there's a significant number who tolerate the disordered relationship because they do have attachment disorders themselves and other false programs and scripts from a traumatic childhood that made staying with this abusive partner so much easier. We attracted them from the inside. That was, that was the toxic stew and brew that was in there. And that's what we attracted. That's what we got were these people who are dysregulated and incapable of being like real human beings that can love and have compassion and intimacy. They're not that person. And that's why they came to us in many cases, not all cases. I think dysfunction breeds dysfunction. And the broken have a way of attracting other broken people. The beauty of it all uh, is that broken doesn't mean beyond repair for the victims in these toxic relationships. So while things like narcissism, sociopathy, and psychopathy have probably the most dismal effective treatment rates, um, they just can't get better. They just don't get better. In fact, they usually get worse as they get older. That's their prognosis. It's tragic, but it's true. But their partners can and do recover quite well over time in the majority of cases. The best way to do that is to remove yourself from patterns of dysfunction and mental instability and choose to get well and end the cyclical loop of sickness once and for all. That's how you have to do it, guys. I am a love junkie. And every day I must own that and work to maintain sobriety. That means choosing independence over dependence, voice over silence, boundaries over attachments, identity over absorption, truth over denial, and the present over what is behind me or is so far ahead of me that I don't even know. Like all addicts, I will need to maintain awareness and make effort every day for the rest of my life. I did not choose to do this work. My narc ex-husband made this decision for me. He was the impetus, the catalyst. By discarding me and deciding that he was done and that my fuel and my supply and what he was getting from me was not adequate anymore or it was old and stale and too problematic. When he decided that and when he left, it forced me into a position where I had to do something. I know what I am. I know what I can and cannot do. And sometimes I wonder if he knows what he is and that there is little that he can do to change it. The prognosis for a mid-range, covert, passive-aggressive, vulnerable, somatic, pseudo-cerebral narcissist is terminal. And that's what he is. 
and there's no hope for him. Once in a while, I'll hear somebody say, with the right therapist, with the right uh, motivation, with the right awareness, they're able to dig in and do mind maps and to, you know, learn to be real people. But I don't think you can teach empathy and compassion and intimacy. Either you're capable of having it or you're not. Now, for us, for us, um, it's a different story. We don't have those barriers. We don't have that prognosis. Um, I'm sad for him because not only was I addicted to him, but I loved him. I loved him unconditionally, organically, blindly, without limits. I loved him. In some ways, I always will. I just hope that someday before I die, and I'm not young, so that clock is ticking. Clock is ticking. I am not a youngster. I am hoping that someday before I die, someone will love me the way I loved him. Only without all the pathological parts, of course, right? So a shift in mindset has been a saving grace for me. Instead of thinking about what I have lost, and oh my gosh, the loss is tremendous. It's so much, so much loss. My life, my future, my support, my help, my partner, everything, just my family, my friends. I've lost a lot because of him um, over time and since the discard. Um, Instead of thinking about what I've lost and what has been taken from me, I now try to think of the self-work I'm doing as a change that has provided something for me. Instead of having it taken from me, I'm getting to do something now for me. That takes a shift in the way that you perceive what's happening. Now, your life may not be couched in a pretty pink cloud of candy and fluffy yumminess, but there is hope to find a comfortable and healthy place with yourself and others. I hope your journey can transport you to that place of wholeness and healing because that's where we want to be, right? That's where we need to be. So, Pink dreams, everyone. Let's choose the ones that last, and let's get to work and make it happen. See you next time. Bye-bye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.